Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Legacy Linden. I'm super excited to be here sharing the word with you this week, and I'm sure many of you are thinking, who is this new voice? Of course, I would love to be there to meet with you in person, but the state of things is not allowed for that. So I thought it would be good for me to kind of start today off by introducing myself. That way you could get to know me and put a face and a name with a voice. So my name is Caleb, and I've known the Johnstons for coming up on close to four years now. We met through Hillcrest Church, where On used to work, and have been friends ever since. Riley and I are gaming buddies, so we play video games together about once a week, and I absolutely love it. The Johnsons are also the ones who introduced my wife and I to the idea of moving out to Linden. Uh, Luckily, when we were house hunting, On just happened to mention something, and we started to look, and we found a house with uh, an incredible view, and we put in an offer, and luckily we're blessed enough to get it. And so here's our view out of our living room window, which I think is one of the best views in Whatcom County. Just a little bit more about me. Uh, I'm married to the lovely lady in this photo. Her name is Katie, and these are our three children. Eden is our oldest, and Elijah is our middle child. We like to refer to him as our spirited child. And then our newest addition to the family as of November is little baby Ellie. Uh, We also have a dog, a husky named Laika. And Laika is a very spoiled dog. She gets to sleep in our bed, and whenever I cook bacon, she gets her very own piece. And Laika absolutely loves and adores On. She just cannot get enough of her. Besides just sharing personal facts about myself, I thought it would be good for me to share a little with you about my faith journey as well. I came to know Jesus in college through a campus ministry known as Chi Alpha in Texas, which is where I'm originally from. After graduating, I moved up to Washington to do full-time campus ministry with Chi Alpha as an intern with a ministry up here known as Campus Christian Fellowship, which is located at Western Washington University, Whatcom Community College, and Skagit Valley College as well. After my internship, I joined the staff and was located out at Whatcom Community College for a couple years. After I left campus ministry, I went to work at Faith Life and have been there ever since. But my time in ministry didn't stop there. I started to volunteer with a youth group at Hillcrest called 412th Youth Ministry. And I did everything from lead small groups, to preach, to teach classes, and I even ran the ministry when the youth pastor was out on sabbatical. Currently, my wife and I also lead an adult small group for Hillcrest, which is such a blessing and a joy as we get to continue to meet with them even during these trying times. And I have to say this again, I'm really excited to be here with you all, continuing on your series of Search and Find. Teaching about God's Word is absolutely one of my favorite things to do. I love helping people to better understand God's Word and the picture of God that is painted in the Scriptures, and helping them to draw insights from the Scripture that apply to them in this day and age. So I'm absolutely looking forward to today. I will say this as well, that I'm a very interactive speaker, and so I love to ask questions as I go, and it's going to be a challenge for me to not have a response from people. But I'm going to do my best when asking questions to give you some time to respond, even though I desperately wish that I could hear your answers. And with that being said, I want to, guess what, start off with a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you've wanted something so badly that you're willing to do just about anything to get it? If so, what was it, and what did you do to get it? So I'll give you a couple seconds to answer this question at home, and then I'll bring us back together. And if you need more time, feel free to go ahead and pause the video.
Alright, go ahead and come on back. And so for me, I really wanted a new custom gaming controller and a new headset because both of mine were broken. I'm also the kind of person who hates needles. And again, I don't think I've ever met anyone who likes them. But anyway, I wanted these things so badly that I went to BioLife and donated plasma. The first time I went, I didn't hydrate properly and I did not eat enough food either. And so I almost passed out on the table. Luckily, I learned my lesson, though, and I kept going back until I could finally afford the controller and the headset that I wanted. I had a deep desire for these things, which led me to take an action that I normally would not have. Desire, and sometimes desperation, can lead us to take drastic actions, actions that are sometimes out of the ordinary for us. And today, we're going to be looking at a passage about a woman who would do anything to see her child healed. So in a second, I will have you turn with me as we continue in Matthew in chapter 15, verses 21 through 31, and you can read along with me in your Bibles or on screen. But before I do, I want to open us in prayer. Dear Jesus, what a wonderful opportunity it is that we have to be able to continue to grow in your word no matter where we are. That even though we can't meet in person, God, you've provided ways for us to stay in community. Lord, I pray that today that you would open hearts to receive and ears to hear what it is that you want to say to them. Jesus, I pray that you would anoint my mouth and my words, and that your words would be spoken and not my own, and that your spirit would be present as people listen and would be active in transforming their hearts. I pray, Jesus, that we would walk away from here challenged to be more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So like I said, we're going to be digging into Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 31, and feel free to follow along with me on screen. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. So when I worked in ministry, I always used to say that context is key, and Ann has assured me that she's been pressing this into you all as well. But it's always good to be reminded that Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, so there's some things in here that they would understand right off the bat that we might not. With that in mind, we're going to dig deep into key verses and draw the context out where we can to better help us understand these passages. So we're going to start in verse 21, and it says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. There 
the word there is referring to Gennesaret, which is where Jesus had confronted the Pharisees in the last week's message. When we see the term withdrew, this tells us that Jesus was trying to get away from people for some alone time, which is an introverse I relate to heavily in the scriptures. He went to Tyre and Sidon, and this gives us our new location. And with him being in this location, it tells us that Jesus has now exited from Jewish territory into the land of the Gentiles. And Matthew, furthermore, uses the word district to show us that Jesus was trying to seclude himself from the masses by avoiding the cities. And he reaffirms this with the use of the words region and came out in verse 22. And it says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So in verse 22, we're now introduced to one of the main characters of our passage today, the Canaanite woman. Matthew uses the term Canaanite to help elevate that this woman was not Jewish and was in fact considered an enemy of the Jewish people. Canaanites were largely despised by the Jewish people due to their long-running history with them. And the fact that this was a woman at this time also was not helpful for her gaining any kind of respect or attention from a Jewish man, especially a teacher. And we can see the context that the woman was keeping her distance at first, because Matthew uses the term cried out. When she cries out, she says, Lord, son of David. And I find it interesting to find her using this title as a Canaanite woman, who would normally have no excitement to see an Israelite leader, because Israelites were known to just insult Canaanites at every chance. This woman is clearly somewhat familiar with Jesus, though, to know that he's well-respected enough to call him Lord, and to come out to find him for this fact of healing her daughter. So she had to have heard that he's healed other people. And she kind of throws this cherry on top of all that as she refers to him as the son of David, which is very much messianic language. So perhaps she thought it was just a good idea to address the one that she was looking for help for from in terms that he would recognize as signifying greatness in hopes that it would convince him to help her. But I personally think there's a little bit more to it. I think that she knows a little bit more about the Jewish culture than the scripture leads on. So she then says, have mercy on me, and explains what is happening and what she needs Jesus' help with. Her daughter is being severely oppressed by a demon. Well, we know what happens because we already read the whole story above, but in my first reading of this, I expected Jesus to turn around and just heal her daughter. Sometimes I like to picture Jesus and his interactions with demons like the movie Constantine. I picture Jesus just walking around blasting demons at every chance he gets because he's usually quick to dispose of them. But this time, Jesus responds a little differently. As we see in verse 23, it says, But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and they begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We see that Jesus uncharacteristically does not say a thing here. Not even a word. It says, but he did not answer her a word. He's been up to now quick to heal those in need. 
So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. The term keeps tells us that this woman had been pleading multiple times with no answer from Jesus. And the disciples here are reacting differently than they normally do too in their ask of Jesus. See, normally when they say to send people away, they just wanted Jesus to turn around and tell them to leave, like with the crowds in the first feeding miracle. They had already seen Jesus' power to heal from afar in the instance with the centurion, whose servant was also described as suffering terribly earlier in Matthew. And they knew that Jesus was capable of casting out demons, again, because they had seen it multiple times. And so they asked him, well, just grant her request so that she would go away, because they were irritated by her constant begging. Then we see here a very unique and interesting response from Jesus. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus here is just restating his main mission, and the one that we saw him enforce in Matthew 10.5 when he sent the preachers out to the different cities and told them to stay away from Samaria. Here, many of us pause, but wait, I thought Jesus' mission was to all people, Jew and Gentile alike. Hadn't he already healed a Gentile in the story of the centurion? And unfortunately, in the scriptures, we can't see body language and or read tone into the words. But I strongly believe that Jesus, when he says this, he says it in order to press the woman into further discussion. And guess what? It works. She responds. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. We see in these passages that the woman closes the distance between them and kneels before Jesus. This Canaanite woman in desperation throws all ethnic boundaries and any prejudice out the window, and instead of avoiding Jewish people like a normal Canaanite would, she finds herself in close proximity to a group of them and actually finds herself on the ground kneeling before one. And this begins begins to paint a picture of one of the best examples of humility that we see in the scriptures. She says this simple phrase to Jesus, Lord, help me. Desperation reaching beyond the text on the page. You can almost hear it in her voice. She pleads on behalf of her daughter for Jesus to help her. Such a simple request. Lord, help me. And with that, Jesus helps her, right? No. He responds with a parable. And parables are stories typically used by teachers to help their hearers draw a conclusion from the outcome of the story. And so Jesus tells this short parable. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. Jesus is calling this woman a dog. You have to remember that in these days and times, dogs were not highly looked upon. They most definitely didn't sleep in people's beds, and they most definitely didn't get their own pieces of bacon. In fact, the term dogs was used as a common insult by the Jews to refer to unclean people groups. Street dogs were seen as animals that ate garbage, licked festering wounds, and that they were dirty and disgusting. And many people read this passage with a harsh tone, thinking that Jesus was just trying to insult this woman because he had ignored her earlier on. I personally think that it is best read with a quizzical tone, 
Again, Jesus' intention is to draw further dialogue and insight out of this woman, hence the telling of a parable. He's trying to teach her something, or to teach the disciples something through her. And sometimes as teachers, we say things we don't necessarily believe or agree with in order to help pupils to draw a conclusion or to be pressed in their thinking. It was a common teaching practice of the day, and for lack of a better term, we refer to it, mostly in this day and age, as a devil's advocate. The one difference we see here is that when Jesus uses the word dog, it's not the term for street dog, which is probably why the woman wasn't offended by it. But instead, it's the one used for house dog. What's fascinating about that is Jesus is saying that this dog actually belongs to the same household. And household, again, as he uses earlier, is kind of a term for nation. I was sent for the house of Israel. And so he's saying that she belongs to the same household of God, but she's not worthy of the bread that is currently being offered for the Jewish people or Israel. The woman should have been upset, right? What if someone called you a dog? I think this is a great place to pause so that we can ask ourselves this question. What in the story would have offended us? And how would we have responded in this situation? So I'll give you a couple seconds to answer this question, and then I'll call us back. Alright, go ahead and come on back. And so our answers should reveal much about ourselves. We might find ourselves saying, well, if that's the way he feels, I'll never come to him for help. No one likes being called hypocrites, an evil generation, a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, foxes, even dogs. Our pride kicks in and keeps us from asking for help again. And instead, we tend to turn to gods of our own making who will not offend us or convict us. Because we convince ourselves that we're special and are somehow worthy of God's grace, and that we need to be helped because of our own merit. It is only when we're truly desperate that we're willing to do anything it takes, including this task of humbling ourselves, that we're able to find God's help. The woman's attitude in the face of refusal is the key to this passage. She she comes empty-handed and can make absolutely no claim to anything. She's a Canaanite woman addressing a male Jewish teacher. This would be like a homeless person trying to approach and talk to the President of the United States. She has no merit, no priority standing as a Canaanite, and especially as a woman, and she has nothing to commend her for. Her manner tells us so much about her, though. It is the opposite of snippy and offended, you-owe-me attitude that typically prevails among so many today. She does not argue that her case is an exception or lobby for any kind of special treatment. She does not point out that Jesus is not even in the land of Israel, so how could he deprive Jews of bread by helping her when he's in the Gentile land? On the other hand, she also does not cut herself off from the miraculous power of Jesus by thinking that she's too unworthy to receive anything at all. She doesn't want to become a doormat. She accepts his judgment and bows down as a beggar for grace. And we see this in her retort to Jesus. She said, yes, Lord, 
Yet even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from their master's table. The woman shows us an example of great humility. When she responds to Jesus, she doesn't say, that's not fair, give me the bread. She has instead removed all prejudice and set it aside and says, I will even take the scraps and the crumbs that fall from the table. She does not become caustic or bitter about the privilege being given to this enemy of her, the Jewish people. She does not resent their share of God's blessing. She actually affirms it by saying, yes, Lord, you're right. But she accepts her place and comes as everyone must in humility. And Jesus' response to this is fantastic. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Her request was granted and Jesus commends her for her faith and heals her daughter. Her, Her desire has been fulfilled based on her faith and understanding of Jesus and the big picture of the mission of God. And I love the response, O woman. It feels like such a term of endearment. When my daughter does something sweet for my son and my heart's filled with joy, my response is generally this. I usually say something along the lines of, Oh, sweet girl, thank you. I feel like this is how Jesus is responding to this woman. A heart filled with great joy in her understanding of his purpose and his mission to see the world reached. And the passage continues on to prove that that mission is larger than what was originally stated about the house of Israel. And so we take a look at verse 29 through 31, and it says, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And it's generally believed that he's still in Gentile territory when this happens. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healed, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. See again, he went on to heal many Gentile people, and as a result, they glorified the God of Israel. His mission was now broadened in the eyes of the disciples. It is no longer just for the Jews, it is something for the Gentiles as well. The disciples still have not fully grasped this, though we see later on in Acts, but that's a story for another time. What I want you to walk away with today is this. Humility is key. Humility is key. This is both for us and our walk with Jesus and our interactions with other people as well. Jesus, in his parable, is offering a style of correction to the Canaanite woman saying that this bread is not for you. But she responds much differently than most would. She responds in complete humility. So I just have some questions for you. What causes us to respond to correction the way that we do? I know when I've been challenged by Jesus, or other people who are trying to help me grow in my faith, my initial reaction is always to get defensive. I think it's just human nature to react that way. It is what we do with that defensiveness that determines what happens next. And so the next question is this. Is your pride keeping you from growing in the things that Jesus is calling you to grow in? Do we let that defensiveness fester, or even like I said earlier, to become resentment and result in us saying, fine, I just won't come to you for help anymore. 
This is a dangerous place to be. We see this so much in our day and age. People who believe that if someone wants us to change, then they can't possibly love us. When in reality, this is the exact opposite. That change is because they love us. We should look to the response of the Canaanite woman for inspiration. A woman who set aside prejudice, who set aside fear of rejection, and who set aside her own pride in order to approach the one who could heal her daughter. Her desperation led her to take drastic action. Does our fear of rejection keep us from reaching out to others who we would normally not reach out to? It's easy for us to make excuses for why we shouldn't reach out to people around us. Well, they might reject me, is the most common one, or they come from a different world than me. And all these things are true of the Canaanite woman approaching Jesus. She knew very well that he could reject her, and that they came from completely different worlds. But as we see in the passage, that those are just those things are just earthly barriers. It's easy for us to be like the disciples and say, well, just give them what they want so that they'll leave us alone. We feel good about granting the physical requests because it's the right thing to do, right? But what if we took some time to dig deeper to find the spiritual needs as well? What if instead of just dropping off a meal for someone, that we asked, how can we pray for them? And I know, this is a crazy idea, but what if we actually stopped and prayed for them right then and there? The honest answers to these questions ought to shed light on the things that prevent us from receiving God's help and from reaching out to the people that God is calling us to reach. I want to end our time with some questions for you to reflect on this week. Are there circumstances in your life you want to see changed? Are there places that you're desperate to see transformed? And what are they? So that's question number one. Question number two is this. Are there things in your life that Jesus is challenging you with, that your pride is causing you to say, fine, I'm going to look elsewhere? What are they? Question three is this. Do you find yourself getting defensive in the face of challenge, and as a result, you move away from Jesus because he calls you to do something that's uncomfortable for you? And how can you begin to humble yourself, and instead of resisting, kneel at Jesus' feet? And lastly, I want to challenge you to do something crazy this week. As you've answered these questions above, I want you to write down the answers in a journal, on some paper, on your computer, however you see fit. And then I want you to take and set aside 20 minutes in your day, and I want you to take the answers that you've written down, and I want you to actually kneel if you're able to, because sometimes physical action can help our hearts to follow. And I want you to pray a simple prayer of, Lord, help me as you read through the things on your list. There's nothing magical about this. It is simply taking the posture of humility and the statement from the scriptures that's our heart acknowledging that we need God's help. I think you'll be amazed at what God does in your life when we humble ourselves and we ask him to help us. So I'm going to pray for us to close our time together And I want to just say thanks for for taking the time to listen and letting me speak to you today. 
So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Lord, help us. We really cannot do this alone. It is you who has brought salvation to us. It is you who has sent your spirit to dwell in and transform us. Lord, may your spirit search our hearts and expose where it is that we've put up walls or defenses. And Jesus, may your spirit tear those things down. Help us, Jesus, to humble ourselves before you, knowing that you are the true king, that we might be transformed, healed, and renewed in your image. We're so thankful, Jesus, that you do not send us on this journey alone, but that you've placed people beside us to help us to grow in our faith. And even more importantly, Jesus, that you have joined and walked with us on this journey as well. That your spirit comes into our lives and convicts us and and transforms us and makes us look more like you. Thank you, Jesus, for being close and personal and not being this far off distant God. And also, Jesus, for pressing us to become and to look more like you. So, Jesus, we pray, Lord, help me. In Jesus' name, amen.